Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national, but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets the Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. Well, hey, everyone, good evening, and welcome back to another edition of Ballots and Brews. We are excited, as always, to bring you the latest, greatest happenings in state and local government, um, and, of course, the latest happenings in the brew world in the greater Topeka area. Um, our guest tonight is going to be Interim City Manager Bill Cochran. So, of course, we have lots to visit with him about on the city level, but we are going to start, as we always do, with beer. Um, and tonight is an especially exciting night for us because we are doing an interview in person. So, I know we mentioned this last time how excited we were to actually get out of the virtual world, but we are so, so excited uh, to be uh, not only doing an interview in person, but to actually be outside of Topeka City Limits tonight. So we're so excited to be up here in Holton at Wilcott Brewing um, in Holton, America tonight. We have the co-owners actually with us, Sean and Jennifer. Sean, thanks, Jennifer, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for being our guinea pigs as well for our first uh, in-person interview as well. Thank you. We're excited. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so we are here in this beautiful building that I just got a tour. And the, the best part, by the way, for you all listening is I get to drink beer while doing this interview too, which is the other best part about this. So tell me a little bit about what made you, you, you both have full-time, full-time jobs, day jobs. So what made you decide to want to open a brewery? Well, it's actually been a kind of a long, long path for us. Uh, we started talking about it probably 10-ish years ago or so, maybe a little longer than oh, that. Oh, it's longer than that. Um, so we had the, the concept and idea around it and then um, got to a point in time where we said, you know, life's way too short. Let's uh, let's find something that we really enjoy doing and, and we can bring a lot of happiness uh, to others and ourselves. Well, you had a Mr. Beer Kit. I did. <laughs> so That's where it got started. It, it, it did all get started with a Mr. Beer Kit for a Christmas gift. And then that was a, a hobby that kind of evolved into making beer, giving beer away, making beer, giving beer away. Um, and then that just kind of went to, this is a lot of fun. Let's take it to the next level. <laughs> That's awesome. So if, to those of you out there listening that might be starting with those homebrew kits, you never know where that uh, where that could take you. So that's kind of that's kind of exciting. Um, and then this building, of course, that we're in, this is a brewery was not the original uh, vision for this building. You want to talk a little bit about how this kind of morphed into into that? Uh, so the building that we actually, the original building that we, we acquired for the, the actual brewery itself was built in 1926 by the Army Reserve. Um, it was built with the building next to us at the same time. And then over the years, it became multiple things. So at one point, it was an, an auto garage. Um, at one place, I think it was a salvage yard uh, where they stored a bunch of auto parts. Um, and so we ended up acquiring it uh, back in 2015. Does that sound right? Um, I think so. I think we bought it in 2015, and then it was a total gut job. So yeah. we ended up having to rip the roof off. Second story came out uh, down to the... I mean, we're talking holes. <laughs> holes in the, the roof. There was no oh, roof. Man. There was like no second floor. It was not... Um, it was just the pigeons. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and I couldn't have the vision. Sean had this vision, and so I had to trust trust in his vision. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and of course, too, you know, we talk on this show often how, how government and the world of, of beer and brewing intersect often, and so there's a lot of government involved in, in making this place a reality. You want to talk a little bit about what it's like to kind of navigate 
all those different layers and steps to kind of make this place a reality. So, um, I mean, Holton, Kansas, if you can imagine, we didn't have a microbrewery on our zoning. <laughs> um, so that was step one for us is going through the process and learning the aspect of being able to, how do we change zoning to allow us to put a microbrewery in, in our wonderful community here? So I went through that process back in 2015 when we acquired the building right before, um, ended up getting that changed, which gave us the green light to pull the trigger and start this process. And yeah. Then over the years, we had other aspirations to do some things. So we ended up working with uh, the state level a little bit to where we could do uh, uh contract brewing with our bottling line. So we had to go through some state legislature over a two-year period. Uh, and then most recently, we worked with the, the county commissioners where uh, we ended up petitioning the county um, to, to revoke our liquor by the drink laws here in Jackson County. And um, we were very lucky and fortunate. I think that passed about 80 to 20 mm-hmm. um, in, in favor of changing that when it went to the general general ballot back in uh, last November. That's awesome. Yeah, you, you kind of don't want to be the one that gets in the way of beer in your community. That's a, that's a fun place to be in for sure. Well, we were talking earlier, you know, there's kind of a cool connection between you guys and Brewbank. Yeah, you know, we know Brewbank, of course, in Topeka was a product of state legislation as well in order to be able for them to open. You want to talk a little bit about that kind of connection? So we ended up actually, uh, like I said, for contract brewing, that's where we ended up uh, going at our, our state um, experience with the state law change. And through that process, uh, just due to the dynamics and the scheduling and how everything falls, we ended up being on the same bill itself. Um, to be able to go through the process, and and uh, when that when the governor had signed uh, the the law for them for self serving, it was actually the exact same bill that we had for for the contract brewing as well. That's awesome. See, folks, there, there are things to be proud of for the legislature that the legislature does. So that that's awesome to see that kind of connection happen between those those communities. That's awesome. Uh, well, yeah, you know, of course, we talk about this is a multi multi year process involved in in both the building and bringing this all to life. You know, what what do you think's been the hardest part, and then what's been kind of your favorite part of the whole the whole journey i'd be interested to hear your, your thoughts on <laughs> well so we both work full-time and he spent most of his evenings here for the last seven eight years going almost nine um this is i think the hardest part is the fact that we have three children and just the the balancing act and being younger you know in our 30s learning how to make that balance between family, home, and persevering through making a dream happen. Yeah. Um, that is, that's hard. Yeah. It's not always easy. Um, and the late nights that he's spent here. So you really always have to focus on what's important and that's each other. Yeah. And our family. And so we would always make sure that, you know, that balancing time was taken care of, you know, maybe date nights or, you know, we, we don't miss any sports events from yeah. our children. We don't miss all their special things. Yeah. So I think it's just a tag team and you really have to be on the same page of communicating. Not saying that's easy, <laughs> but it, it's, it's takes a lot and you don't know when that light's going to happen. Like when yeah. this construction's going to be over. Yeah. Um, so he actually went into it saying this is going to take a year. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> a year. And here we are now. And so when we bought the uh, building next to us and opened the tap house, that took literally two months. Oh, wow. Because I said, not doing this again. Right. So <laughs> when we did the tap house, so I think we've learned um, just the value, just different values as you go through a process like that. Oh, yeah. Importance 
but us, I would say family's always been number one in our relationships. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. So anything else that you did? Actually, I had the exact same one. <laughs> the most difficult part for me is what I'm going to say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it the pretending of balancing because it's never a true balance. I mean, you, you, you want to spend as much time as you can at home. You, you don't want to miss any of the sporting events. Um, we both work full time jobs. So you got to keep the lights on and then the, the constant pursuit of trying to, to do a, a project of this nature and this scale. Um, you know, it was nights, weekends, holidays for almost five he years. He picked the best wife. <laughs> we oh, got that on the record right here. <laughs> and then on the, the flip side of that question, I think you were asking also, what's the reward? Yeah. What's the best reward for me? It's, it's the community side, really. I mean, it's shortly after we opened, you know, it, it, we still, and still today, I mean, we still have late nights. Last night was a late night. Um, but you know, I was real tired one night and, and I, I remember distinctly sitting down on the <laughs> stairs and on the bottling room side and it was a night that the tap room was open and I was, I was tired and I just heard all the laughter and all the fun and, and the people that were over in the tap room were having such a great time. And, and that's probably one of the best rewarding parts of, of the business side is we're able to, to be a part of the community and bring value to others in the community as well. I would like to piggyback on that. I love hearing people laugh. However, on our personal side of things, it's our, our children see um, the hard work and dedication. And we're able to bring to them what it looks like to work hard sure. for what you want, the value um, and courage it takes to to do something and accomplish it. Yeah. Um, we have taught them things that they're going to carry on for their lives. And I think that's very rewarding. Um, on the side of the community, so I, I started this Bunko stuff, um, this Bunko um, nights yeah. on Wednesdays the last couple months, um, just to kind of like get out, yeah. just get people out. Um, and it's just, it's very beautiful hearing their laughing and bringing strangers together and um, having um, a sense of unity and people come into the tap room and they're greeted by their name. And it's just a phenomenal experience. I've never experienced anything like this before. So I think that is really rewarding just seeing how many people come in just to see other people and yeah. have a great time. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, to have that gathering place to just mm -hmm. get to hang out and do something yeah. different, which is awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. So, yeah, so let's talk about when people come, what can they expect? So, you know, there's a, a tap room, of course, I just got to see downstairs. You want to talk a little bit about, you know, some of your, I know you've got your your kind of four kind of flagship beers. You want to talk a little bit about those? Well, you've run the tap room side, so I can let you kind of talk about tap room, then I'll talk you about You talk about the beer first. So, <laughs> we have uh, we have four flagship beers that we keep in package. Uh, we do have a bottling line. So, we sell our, our single IPA and our double IPA, which is our four brothers and four sisters. We sell that in a family pack. So, you get three bottles of each and a six pack. Um, we have a sweet stout or Texan sweet stout, and then we have our two feet wheat, which is an American wheat. Um, each of those are, are, are offered in liquor stores and, and bottles, 12 ounce glass bottles, six packs. Um, and then we also have those all offered in kegs. So we sell on six and a half barrel kegs through uh, retail to uh, restaurants and, and uh, bars uh, and things of that nature. So we're in probably about 60 locations between the, the Shawnee County, Jackson County, Pot, Bunsey County. 
county area. Awesome. Um, have a phenomenal partner with Strathman Sales. They, they've helped get us out out there, and and they've just been a great partner to work with from day one. So um, those are kind of what we have on a flagship standpoint. And then we throw in some rotational things back to the community stuff. Um, we partnered with a couple of different organizations to create custom labels. Oh, yeah. So last Fourth of July, we had a, a beer called July Jubilee that we partnered with the Jackson County uh, Chamber of Commerce to promote our Fourth of July oh, event yeah. here in Jackson County and yeah, kind of yeah. get the word out. We'll be doing that again this year. We'll be offering the, the July or the Jubilee beer. I grant tweak that name to, to Jubilee. Um, we did the Shakespeare Festival uh, last oh, yeah. year. The, the Flint Hill Shakespeare Festival had an ESB that was it went over quite well. <laughs> we got a lot of good comments on that one, uh, but it was able to make a, a custom label to help promote the, the Shakespeare Festival over in St. Mary's, and it was great, great to do things of that nature. So. Yeah. And then tap room, I'll let you kind of talk. Well, you have uh, seasonal beers too. So those are draft. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So we we do offer some draft beers. We had our Oktoberfest last year. Um, right now we've got four other beers that we have on draft in addition to our flagships. Yeah. Um, we have a wit beer. Uh, we have an Irish red. Uh, we have we still are, are kind of cleaning up our last bit of our winter mm. uh, spiced ale, um, and then we have an amber as well. Yes. So when it comes to the taproom side, we're just trying to promote um, what we value most or our philosophy in management, which is just bringing our community together and customer service um, and just being an experience that is fun and very enjoyable. Uh, Some of the things we offered the last couple of months, we tippy-toed into the Bunko thing. (laughs) Then some men were like, why is it Bunko? Why aren't we doing pitch? (laughs) Fine. So we're bringing in some pitch next month, a couple times a month on the first Wednesday and the third Wednesday. See how that goes. In May, we're doing, we're piggybacking the um, glory days that it's a festival here in town. It gets over at one and it's about old fashioned cars, classic vehicles. Yeah. It's a really big deal. Um, so what we're going to do is that's also the class reunion day oh, okay. for everybody yeah. in the area. We're going to do an after party out on the street and kind of a beer garden, um, with a couple live bands, food from local vendors. So we really want to establish relationships with local restaurants in town yeah. uh, because we don't serve food, sure, yeah. um, but it's been really, really um, a great experience. We've been doing bar crawls. Uh, we did um, a, a spooky bar crawl or Halloween. Oh yeah. Bar crawl. Um, we did one for St. Patrick's Day pub crawl. Nice. Um, that was really exciting. We just like to play some games in these, in these things. Yeah. So we did bingo. We do drawings. Uh, we do have live music, live bands. We did twice a month over the winter. Now we're going to sort of de-escalate that to once a month over the summer. Yeah. See if we, you know, we, we're just imagining people are going to be outside and, you oh, know, yeah. um, but we do have an area where we can, you know, open the garage door. You can have music go out. That's um, awesome. So we have a lot of people that want to rent out the space and use it for meetings and events, which is really fun. Um, Otherwise, we have lots of ideas we're going to bring out this summer. Sure. Um, And we're just kind of seeing how everything goes. Everything right now, our first year is a learning curve. Yeah, absolutely. And we're learning as we go and we're trying to listen to our customers' ideas of what they want. And we try to 
do what we can. We also like to partnership up with a, a local local um, businesses such as like our mug club membership. Yeah. So they make glass mugs. They blow their own mugs yeah. with a local glass blowing company, More Than Lemons here in town. Yeah. That's really exciting. That people, is so cool. People say their taste, their beer tastes better <laughs> out of their own mug. Absolutely. <laughs> that's such a cool, that's such a cool idea though. Like a cool partnership to be able to highlight a local business and bring it back to the, to the tap room. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Our staff do a great job building those relationships and, um, it's just everybody's happy. Yeah. And it's just a very enjoyable place to be. And yeah. on top of that, it's got some fantastic beer. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so remind me what you served me tight because this is delicious. Okay. By so the way. this is our brand new beer. It came out last week. It's called 1874 Turkey Red. And it's kind of the spinoff of a beer that we had as a specialty beer last year that Sean was talking about. It promoted, um, Farmer's Eve. It mm-hmm. was, but it's not, it has a little bit more of an orange crisp to it. It's a very great summer beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very light. Uh, local wheat farmer came up last weekend and, and enjoyed some. Um, so that is what that is. Now the Jubilee beer is probably even lighter than this. Wow. And this, and this beer is pretty beer light, too. you guys. So just for those of you that are listening, are like yeah. beer fans. It's pretty good. So people like the wheat beer, but they want lighter. Yeah. So this is, ooh, this is our first beer we brought back from popular demand. Nice. Look at and you even guys. Somebody told me tonight, <laughs> can you guys please make this beer permanent? <laughs> can it please be a flagship? <laughs> That's awesome. No, it is. It's delicious. Those of you that love light beer, you will love this. This is so good. It is really good. That's awesome. Well, so congratulations on, on all your success. That, that's awesome. And I know it came with a lot of hard work, uh, too. So congrats on, on everything that, that's happened in the last couple of years here. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I should ask her, you know, for folks that they want to keep up with, uh, all the happenings for the brewery, where should they, where should they check that out at? Well, we have a Facebook page, Wilcott Brewing Company Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram. Probably I'm not as good at <laughs> sure. meeting, but the Facebook and our website is always updated on a usual, on a, on a consistent basis. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you guys again for letting us come up here and crash your place and hang out for a little bit. We've enjoyed Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yes. Come on. We, we really appreciate you coming up here. We have enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Well, anytime. Yeah, well, absolutely. I'll take you up on that for, for sure. Uh, for folks out there listening, yeah, go ahead and make sure if you are up in Holton, remember to stop by. The address is 219 West 4th Street. Or for those that are familiar with Holton, it's just about a block west of the square um, here in Holton. So be sure to check them out. Make sure to check out Wilcott Brewing on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and check out their webpage as well to be able to stay up to date with all the latest, greatest happenings there. Uh, go ahead and stay tuned. After the break, we will have our beer flight of the night where we will recap all the latest and greatest happenings from state and local government. And we have a lot to cover from the craziness of this last week. So stay tuned. You're listening to Ballads and Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. Cheers. <laughs> Boom. That was perfect. <laughs> Seven eight five magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now, and we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at 785live.com and thanks for tuning in. 
All right, folks, we are back with our beer flight of the night, that part of the evening where we go through all the latest and greatest happenings in state and local government. So let's get started. We are going to start off tonight with our CIP IPA. We are all about our acronyms, of course, here at Ballads and Brews. And of course, the CIP in this case stands for Capital Improvement Projects. Uh, So last Tuesday... The City Council held a special workshop meeting to start planning for the next CIP budget. Now, as a reminder, the CIP is that budget that is actually separate from the city's main operating budget, and it covers big infrastructure type projects. Now, the council actually approves the CIP. It's it's that big and important that it gets approved in 10-year increments since the projects are so large. Uh, so allow me to be your CIP Sherpa, if you will, um, for the next little bit. Uh, so the CIP is divided into five categories. Infrastructure, quality of life, good governance, public safety, and developing neighborhoods. The infrastructure and quality of life areas are going to have the most investment. Um, there's about 93 Point eight million dollars uh, scheduled for infrastructure and twenty six point one million for quality of life. So we're talking big time money here. Uh, the ten year total for the proposed CIP budget is a whopping seven hundred and thirty one million seven hundred and thirty nine thousand five hundred and ninety three dollars. I could buy a lot of Chipotle burritos with that money, y'all. Uh, as the Capitol Journal reports, uh, council members covered a lot of ground in last Tuesday's meeting. Uh, they reviewed projects like the Polk Quincy Viaduct that's included in the CIP. You'll recall this is the stretch of highway that runs through downtown that makes you feel like you're on one of the turns in the Indianapolis 500. Uh, the project to redo that stretch of road is budgeted for an additional $7 million in the latest instance of the CIP. Uh, you might remember last year we talked about some some previous trouble this project ran into budget-wise. The Kansas Department of Transportation uh, did provide us a cool $20 million for this project, and that was all hunky-dory until we realized that there was some underground utility work that we also needed to take on as a part of it, um, and that would blow past the $20 million limit. And now, of course, we have this additional $7 million in expenses to consider. Uh, City staff did assure council members that they would be pursuing additional grant funding to cover those costs. Um, there's also $10 million dedicated to City Hall and the Topeka Performing Arts Center um, in the budget. For those who are unfamiliar, those two uh, share the same building. So if you haven't realized it yet, when you go to TPAC, on the backside of TPAC is City Hall. If you've been to City Hall before, the backside of City Hall is TPAC. Blows your mind, I know. Uh, so that building needs to be brought up to code first off. Um, so about $6 million of that $10 million would cover air conditioning issues in the building. Um, at which city? At which point, city staff provided this slightly terrifying note. Uh, right now, the way TPAC and City Hall are currently set up, there is no dedicated return airflow in the buildings. So that means that all of the return air flows through spaces that are already occupied. Uh, so, as Deputy Public Works Director Hannah Ulrich put it, "quote." In the event of a fire, it would tear through the occupied space quickly. Uh, So you should know, I guess, that as of right now, if you're in City Hall and there's a fire, well, at least it'll be a pretty quick way for everybody to go. So there's that. Um, Also, by the way, take a drink if you had the words saltwater brine maker on your bingo card tonight. Yes, the city also discussed buying a machine to make saltwater brine in-house instead of hauling it in. For those unaware, which I imagine would be everyone listening right 
now. Uh, saltwater brine is apparently a super efficient mixture used to de-ice roads. Uh, city plows used this uh, some last year and it dramatically sped up the amount of time it took to plow some of the major roads in the city. Right now, we spend 91 cents a gallon to truck that mixture in, but if we made it right here in Top City, we'd only spend about 35 cents a gallon. So, you know, spend money to make money kind of thing. Uh, this is just the beginning of the City Council's fun with the CIP. They fully plan to hold additional workshop meetings during their regular City Council meetings all throughout the next month, which means, of course, you have the opportunity to listen and comment on how the city is going to be spending these serious dollars. Uh, you can also review the proposed CIP budget online at topeka.org slash finance slash capital improvement projects. On that website, you'll be able to see the plans and be able to dig into them and see all the details and that sort of thing. Now, our next three beers on the flight are going to be dedicated to our friends from the Kansas legislature who mercifully left town for first adjournment last week, but not before an absolute dumpster fire of a week as the legislature feverishly worked to get as much done as they can before getting out of town. Now, as a reminder, uh, when the legislature comes back on April 25th, it's officially the veto session. So really, their only business then is supposed to be overturning any vetoes by the governor and passing the omnibus budget. Budget. Hence why the race was on last week to get as much passed as possible. So, yes, if you ever wonder, the legislature often does work like college students cramming for finals. In fact, the gamble finally came down uh, to end a last week's session at 1.30 in the morning, Saturday morning. Uh, now, as always, it's impossible to cover everything, but we picked a couple areas to focus on tonight, starting with the take your axe and shove it uh, wheat beer. So um, if you jerk back just a couple months ago, back before anyone slapped anyone at the Oscars, all the talk was about axing the food sales tax. And we still have our favorite uh, photo out there of the governor standing there with a literal axe in a grocery store talking about their plan to axe the food sales tax. Um, we remember all the way back to the governor's state of state address. Uh, governor Kelly called on the legislature to pass a clean bill repealing the sales tax on food by Kansas Day. That would have been January 29th. Those were simpler times, friends. Uh, not to restate the obvious, but this is, of course, something everyone wants. Republicans want it. Democrats want it. My mom wants it. Pretty sure our family dog buddy wants it, too. The thought of, that we pay one well, of the highest, actually the second highest, tax rate on groceries in the entire country that includes all of our neighboring states is, quite frankly, ridiculous. After Kansas Day came and went, there have been a host of proposals for how we can repeal the sales tax on food. Some never made it out of committee. So what's the hold up? Well, we'll start with the official uh, reasons first. Going into this legislative session, Kansas was looking at a projected budget surplus of $2.9 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars. Not too shabby. Eliminating the food sales tax altogether is expected to cost Kansas about $500 million a year. Now, now, you'll remember not too far into the session, the legislature did pass the mega project uh, deal, a package of tax incentives that was designed to lure a mystery company to Kansas. That project itself was worth seven, several hundred million dollars, which is when folks started to get a little nervous about exactly how much money we do have to work with in this budget surplus. And on top of that, some other tax concessions, and you've got a bunch of people who now claim to be very nervous about Kansas's fiscal position. This in spite, of course, of the latest report on state tax receipts that showed in March, Kansas's monthly tax revenues were $80 million over what we estimated. 
So what's really going on here? Well, it's politics, y'all. It's an election year, and both candidates for governor want the credit for passing this measure, and they're going to be damned if they let the other side get away with it. So the Topeka Capital Journal has some great coverage over exactly how all this went down. Going into this final week last week, there was a proposal on the table to cut the sales tax rate on food immediately to 1.5% in July of this year, and then to 0% next year. Uh, Senator Karen Tyson, who's the chair of the Senate Tax Committee, actually seemed to like this proposal. Um, and indicated uh, as much in her remarks, uh, but then also noted that Senate leadership was not in favor of this plan. Uh, so the Senate made a counteroffer, basically offering a gradual year-by-year reduction in the tax with no immediate cut right off the bat. Uh, this was similar to a proposal in 2019 that, you guessed it, was vetoed by Governor Kelly. Uh, this proposal, of course, came about through the conference committee that worked late into the night Friday and into early Saturday morning, so the public didn't really have an opportunity to comment or hear about this measure. Regardless, the bill never made it to the floor, and thus the legislature adjourned for break without ever even considering it. Um, Just in case you are interested in just how the sausage is made here, we'll tell you what did make it to the floor uh, when it comes to taxes, just for some perspective. As the Capitol Journal reports, the legislature essentially took three months' worth of work on tax policy and crammed it into a conference committee made up of three senators and three House members to work out the details. Uh, What resulted was a mega bill uh, that was devised late in the night. HB 2239, if you want to look that up. That was the compilation of 29 different bills, 29 different tax bills combined into one. No public testimony um, on these bills because, again, it goes through the conference committee process. And none of these bills, none of these 29, had a separate hearing, of course, in their own right um, on the Senate floor, uh, on the House floor, since they were all combined into one. Um, The bill did pass with overwhelming majorities. It included things like income tax credits for teachers who buy school supplies for a classroom as well as tax credits for certain types of of, uh, uh, employees or disabled veterans. It creates a taxing authority for Gage Park, the Topeka Zoo, and the Kansas Children's Museum to all be able to levy or to raise taxes to support their work. Um, All passed in the dark dark of night by folks drinking statehouse coffee to try and keep themselves awake. Uh, Now, again, I mentioned it passed pretty overwhelmingly. You know, a lot of those things I just mentioned weren't hugely uh, controversial in their own right, and so a lot of people just kind of held their nose and voted, I think, just to be able to get it all done and out of the way. So what's next for the ill-fated sales tax uh, measure? Well, when the legislature comes back in a session on the 25th, they there always could be at least one last-ditch effort to try and resurrect and save this legislation. It kind of depends on how quickly legislative leadership will want to get through things uh, when they get back here for the veto session, so stay tuned. Uh, next up, we have the Dope Bet On It Kolsch. Uh, close to midnight last Friday, the Kansas House finally got to vote on a bill that has been a long time coming in the Kansas legislature. The all-important topic of sports gambling. Uh, Since the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the federal ban on sports betting back in 2018, states have moved quickly to legalize some form of sports betting and to cash in on the subsequent income. As of right now, nearly half the states have legalized sports gambling in some way, either in person or through electronic platforms. Uh, Since then, the topic has come up several times in the Kansas legislature and always seems to get hung up on a couple different points. Uh, For instance, who would be in charge of this system? Is it the lottery or is it some 
somebody else? Where do the funds go? Do we allow it just in person or electronic? If it's in person, is it just at certain places? Maybe it's just at racetracks. Maybe it's just at the Sporting KC Stadium or at the Kansas Speedway. Or maybe it's just at state-owned casinos. Oh, and how do we handle tribal gaming um, and, and when tribes want to get in on this action too? And then add on top of all of that, a healthy dose of good old Kansas hesitancy when it comes to gambling in general. Uh, there are still some who wonder how God has it just wiped us off the face of the map once we allowed state-owned casinos to operate, after all. So needless to say, this issue gets a little bit complicated. Uh, as the clock moved toward midnight last Friday, it looked as though we had struck the jackpot see what I did there, uh, and reached a deal for a bill that would allow casinos to partner with online betting platforms and up to 50 different types of stores altogether to offer in-person betting. The state would take a flat 10% cut on all bets, and it would require 2% of all revenue to be invested in a problem gambling and addictions grant fund to counter any potential rise in gambling addiction. The bill narrowly passed the House on a bill on a vote of 63 to 50. So why such a narrow vote for something that seems like such a no-brainer for so many? Well, there's one other provision in the bill that got people all kinds of fired up. It involves the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, those of you that follow the sports ball closer than I have uh, probably seen that the Chiefs made some noise not too long ago about potentially exploring options to relocate the Chiefs across the border into Kansas, where about half the country probably thinks they play anyway. Well, seizing upon that, this bill was actually crafted to allocate the vast majority, I think about 80% of revenue from sports betting into something called the Attracting Sports to Kansas Fund, a fund that would be used specifically to lure the Chiefs to relocate over to Kansas. Uh, this provision raised all kinds of alarms with some folks, including people who were opposed to both the actual provision and the manner in which it was done. Uh, some folks raised opposition about what they felt was some kind of backroom deal that the governor's office made with members of the committee to slide this provision in there. Um, so while the bill did pass the House, it still needs to make it to the Senate. Um, and I would just bet on it being considered during the veto session. Just so y'all know, I had like 10 other gambling puns ready to go, but I restrained myself a little bit. So there you go. Uh, and finally, we have the think of the children sour. Uh, legislators spent a lot of time this session worrying about whether the kids are going to be all right. Uh, to that end, we had two major pieces of legislation get considered. First was the so-called Parent Bill of Rights that purports to allow parents to once and for all see what their kids are learning in school. As the Capitol Journal reports, under this bill, school districts would, quote, would be required to develop policies allowing parents to be informed of what is being taught in their child's classroom and letting them examine lesson plans, examinations, textbooks, and other course materials, end quote. That's not all, though. Parents could also object to any material they didn't like or that violates their, quote, firmly held beliefs, values, or principles. Uh, the bill would also allow parents to challenge any materials in a school library with the goal of getting that book or item removed from the library. Uh, you'll remember we talked about this bill a couple a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now, and at that time it was even more harsh. It subjected teachers to potential criminal penalties if they displayed certain materials that parents found offensive. Uh, the bill was lightened up just a little bit, just a touch, uh, by the Senate, but it still goes out of its way to allow parents to sort of veto over the content that is taught in their kids' schools. Now, does it take you to long to, to think of some examples of any number of curriculum materials that are educational, yet also contain content parents might not want their kids to hear about. Uh, the Cap Journal talks about the impact of such regulation, for instance, on uh, language arts and uh, literature classes in schools. You know, what 
excuse me, what happens, for instance, when a teacher wants to teach her class about the history of a piece of music, uh, but the music was written by someone who was a communist? Do your parents now get to cancel, to borrow a phrase, that teacher just because they don't like communism? It sounds absurd, but we have one state in this country that just passed a law effectively making it impossible to mention the word gay in school. Republicans, I trust, do know that being gay isn't like Beetlejuice, right? Like, that's not how it works. You don't just say, anyway, I digress. Um, this bill did pass, um, and it is heading to the governor now as it's passed both chambers. But importantly, this is the big point. It's heading there with out a veto-proof supermajority. So if the governor vetoes this bill, which she very likely will, it will be very tough to override her veto. The other piece of legislation that is meant to save our kids this year is, of course, the bill that was authored to ban transgender athletes from competing in girls and women's sports. Uh, we should mention this bill was taken up the day after International Transgender Day of Visibility, a day specifically devoted to raising awareness of transgender individuals and the challenges they face in our communities. Uh, this bill has been hotly contested, and current events have just added more fuel to the fire, uh, specifically the recent case of Leah Thomas, a transgender uh, swimming athlete who became the first transgender athlete to win an NCAA championship. Uh, one unique element to this debate is really the changing face of the Kansas legislature. Uh, we do have Representative Stephanie Byers from Wichita, who is the first transgender legislator to be elected to the Kansas House and has spoken passionately and eloquently against this bill um, at a return in the legislature this year. Uh, the legislature in general has the highest number of LGBTQ representatives that's ever had, which has no doubt shaped the debate in both uh, chambers of the legislature. Um, the bill did end up passing um, in the legislature's marathon session last week, but just as with the Parental Bill of Rights, it did not have that coveted veto-proof majority needed um, to stand what will be an almost certain veto by Governor Kelly. And that, folks, is the end of our beer flight. There are so many other things that we didn't get to talk about, including a bill requiring work training to receive staff benefits, a last-ditch effort to oust the director of the Kansas Governmental Ethics Commission, and extending COVID-19 liability protections for hospitals and nursing homes. What a mess. Uh, but as I wrap up here, also a mess of our own making. You know, there's a saying that we get the government we deserve, not the government we want. Uh, what we're seeing right now, this whole dumpster fire of a week that we had last week is the result of the last round of legislative elections where we saw a large number of people get elected, um, a lot of them conservative Republicans, without any government experience at all or any particular skill sets like lawyers, educators, healthcare employees, etc. Uh, we got a lot of folks elected who ran and won on these wedge issues, these really super divisive issues like transgender athletes, banning books in school, um, parent parental bill of rights, all these issues that sound really good and they get drummed up by these big national advocacy groups that fund a lot of these candidates to run for office. And the problem is these folks get elected and that's really all they know about. All he can speak to are these big hot button topics that fit nicely on a postcard. When it comes down to doing the hard work of actually governing and actually getting stuff done, you know, understanding the nuances of the state budget, Medicaid expansion, these really big, complicated topics that these folks turn out to be either uninterested in or ill-informed on, and it leads to bad policy or in some cases, no policy at all. And you know, at some level, folks, that's the thing we that's what we get when we blindly vote for folks based on 
party identification, uh, which is sadly what happens a lot of times in local legislative races. So we have to do better. And I know we can. I think we can. I know we can. Um, and so that's kind of, that's what we're all that's what we're all about here at Ballots and Brews, y'all. So enough about all that. We are going to take a quick break. And then when we get back, we are sitting down with Topeka Interim City Manager Bill Cochran for a full and very interesting conversation. So stay tuned. You're listening to Ballots and Brews here on KSEP 75 Live Radio. All right, folks. Well, as we've discussed before, it has been a busy time for our friends in city government in the last couple of weeks. And so tonight we're excited to get the chance to sit down um, and talk about a couple of those issues with none other than interim city manager Bill Cochran. So, Bill, uh, welcome back. And thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Well, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Absolutely. You know, we've had you on here um, and uh, you know, had you on before in a whole other uh, capacity. And so we're excited to, to have you back. Um, and of course, we we mentioned that you are working as our interim city manager uh, right now, but we're still, uh, so we're in the midst of a search for a new permanent uh, city manager, one of the hot topics that's, I know, in front of city council right now. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about kind of where we're at in that search process and what folks can expect kind of moving forward? Yeah, um, so we're in the process of finalizing a a contract with a a local firm to assist in the uh, search process. And so what will happen is on Tuesday, um, April 4th, it is, I believe. No, April 5th. Tuesday, April 5th. Okay. We will take the uh, contract proposal to the governing body. The governing body has to approve that contract. And if they do that, then uh, we will present to them on the 12th basically what the process will look with uh, combined with the search firm and city staff. And uh, this is going to be kind of a it's going to be a really a different process this time. I think it's actually going to be a little more exciting because we're just not turning over the reins of who our next city manager is going to be to an outside firm that's not familiar with the city. And so that's what really the perspective of the governing body was, Okay, we'd like to have a local firm to help us fill the position, somebody that is familiar with Topeka. And then uh, the other side of that is. The individual who or he or she, whoever it is that we find to be the next city manager is relatively local or regional and has knowledge of the city of Topeka. So what we will be doing on the 12th is kind of outlining that process of what the hiring process will look like. If the city council is pleased with that, then we'll actually go to advertising the position. So we hope to have the position posted. Oh, um midweek of the 12th of the 11th or the first part of the 18th and then that'll be posted for 45 to 60 days okay and then once we get the applications in then we narrow it down to uh final candidates we don't know what that number will be yet uh but then the final candidates will go through uh, a series of uh two or three different interview panels one being um, with uh, staff, one being with community, and then one would be with uh, the governing body. Uh, then the governing body will put all that together, present that to the governing body, and then ultimately they will make the decision as to who the final candidate is. 
Ah, sure. Yeah. So lots, lots, of, lots to come for sure in those those next few weeks. And yo, it was interesting in, in the discussion that the council's had about what that that eventual candidate could look like. Yo, there's lots of discussion about you know they they are not necessarily set on it having to be someone that has been kind of kind of comes from central casting, so to speak, for the city manager. Oh, yeah, they were kind of adamant about you know it could be somebody that maybe comes from the private sector or has kind of an, an alternative background. Yeah, I think the key thing that we're really looking for is somebody who has experience of, um, you know, running an organization at a top level, somebody who understands economic development, and then also has an understanding of how city government works. And so, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus on the future economic development and working with the GTP and moving yeah. the city forward and growing our population and all that. So we got some aggressive ideas. And so it's going to be really important. That's why we really desire somebody locally or regionally that has knowledge of Topeka. So we don't have to spend a lot of time educating him or her and getting them up to speed. We got somebody that has knowledge and then it's just, you know, some tweaks and adjustments in the, uh, and, and continue to move down the road. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I know we're excited to, to watch that process uh, unfold uh, and you know, exciting to know that there's your know, public comment as opportunity for that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a key point. That's something that's been, you know, duly noted and I think everybody's fully aware of that. And so we just got to figure out what, you know, how big that, what that process looks like, sure. how big it is and type of thing, you know, because um, you know, this is a very important position and the hopes are that we can find somebody that's going to be in the position for, you know, eight to 10 years. A typical lifespan of a uh, city manager who comes from outside is three to five years. And mm. so, you know, we're really hoping to find somebody that is from Topeka, invested in Topeka and, uh, you know, can have them on board for. Uh, a much longer tenure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it see, see it through some of those really great things that are going on in the city for sure. Well, you know, our, our city, of course, like others across the country is, is looking uh, you know, to how we recover and move forward from uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And of course, to that end, we are the recipients of a little over $40 million in uh, funds through the American Rescue Plan Act, those ARPA dollars. And we've been talking on the show, of course, a lot these last few weeks about the $10 million that, that is being worked on right now in terms of of what's being dedicated to social services in the community. Um, but of course, there's other $35 million um, too that's going to be used. Can you walk through a little bit about uh, what the city's plan is or approach for that other that $35 million chunk of dollars? Yeah, the uh, the city of Topeka received a little over, well, give or take $46 million. Sure. In ARPA dollars, at, uh, which we have a couple years to... Um, you know, to allocate it and then you got another year or two to spend it. So when we talk about infrastructure, that's really what the 35 million, give or take, has been dedicated to. What we're looking at there is projects that are planned already, not new projects, but mm -hmm. projects that are already kind of in the works. Looking at paying cash for those um projects as opposed to borrowing money because when you borrow money it always costs more <laughs> right what you do if you can reduce reduce your debt then you reduce uh you know what the city owes of course and it also lowers payments and and things like that yeah the other thing it allows you to do is um you can bond 
take the dollars that you were going to spend bonding on certain projects that now you're going to pay cash for and either, you know, uh, moving projects forward that were like three years out that we couldn't afford because you can only borrow so much money. Sure. Uh, and then if you're going to pay cash for some projects, then you may be able to move some of those projects that were f three to five years out up in, in the process um, because you're not borrowing $35 million yeah. in cash. And so uh, that's really what we're looking at. And there's a lot of those, those type of projects, water, water line replacement, lead pipe replacement, uh, lead meter replacement. Uh, we've identified households uh, in, you know, in City of Topeka and give or take, we got 3,500 households that still have lead pipes. Oh, wow. Leading from the water main up to the house. Wow. So we can utilize those dollars. Yeah, that that's a big thing. And yeah. I think that's huge. And, and, you know, when you talk about what these dollars really need to be used for, I think those are things that we really uh, need to try to concentrate on. You know, what the, the intent of the intent of the dollars were to recover. But, you know, the dollars also to me, the intent is how do you improve the quality of life for all citizens of Topeka? Yeah. And so when we talk about, you know, the lead pipe um, replacement, that that's huge, because when you think about this day and age, I find it almost surprising we still have that many households that have lead pipe yeah. leading from the water main and water meter up, up to the house. And so, and, and, you know, and a lot of these individuals that have lead pipes are not in a financial position where they can just say, you know, hey, tomorrow I, I, I want to get rid of the lead pipes. So I'm going to go out and hire somebody to do that. Yeah. And they just don't have those resources. And so this is really great for us in the aspect of being able to um, help those individuals really improve their quality of life on a personal level. So. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, it's, it's interesting as we think about, um, you know, how these dollars are used in that recover that recovery aspect. I think there's been a lot of uh, focus in, in places about not only recovery, but like you said, how do we get back to quote unquote normal? But, you know, normal doesn't necessarily have to look like what it did beforehand, too. You know, we could use this as an opportunity to to find a better normal. And I think that kind of speaks to, uh, to some of that work that you were just talking about. Yeah, I think that one of the biggest challenges, though, will be for the uh, governing body in the process is going to be, you know, the $10 million that have been allocated for social service stuff. Yeah. Um, and so when you really look at the intent of the dollars is, you know, how, how were you affected by the pandemic? Um, how much money do you want and what are you going to use that money for? Yeah. But when you think about it, the idea is not that you're going to use those dollars to do something new or something like that, you know, it, it's really got to be tied to how were you, how were you affected during the pandemic and, mm -hmm. and how are you still kind of suffering type of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, of course, you know, the policy finance committee had their uh, open meeting last week and heard just a few ideas uh, that folks had uh, at that, that session. So they, they certainly have a lot of data, a lot of input to work with. Yeah. So it'll be interesting, you know, and somebody asked, well, what exactly is is social service? Mm. You know, and as one council member put it, and I, I think he phrased it up perfectly, is really anything that is not related to infrastructure. Yeah. So yeah. When you say that, that really opens it up. So. Yeah. 
absolutely, absolutely. Well, you're staying on this this topic of of, of dollars and cents. Um, you know, the city council also just had their uh, first of what will I'm sure be uh, several uh, workshops related to uh, the capital improvement plan, the CIP. I know it's everyone's favorite subject to talk about, uh, but so that's incredibly important for the future of our city. Can can you remind folks? Yeah, you know, when we talk about the CIP, what exactly is that, and, and what as the city is looking forward and planning for the next uh, CIP? What are some of the things that the city um, are is looking at and considering? Yeah. Well, first of all, I got to tell you, you know, this was actually a, a and, and I mean this with all sincerity, this one was actually a pretty exciting CIP uh, process. Yeah. Simple fact that um, this was the first time in my, my years that I actually saw us uh, make progress to the extent that we did in the, in the first meeting. And part of that had to do with was last year, uh, we really got a lot of projects and things cleaned up on the books. Mm. And so what was happening is they would get their CIB, CIP uh, project book and it would be like 100 pages. <laughs> but 30 of those pages were projects that were outstanding. They just would just for whatever for sure, whatever yeah. time they didn't get cleaned up. They didn't get closed out or whatever. And so, um, you know, the the. the City council and the, and, and the city manager gave me a charge to get those cleaned up. And so it, for four very intense weeks uh, for the finance staff, but they came through, you know, with and like, you know, say, give them a gold star <laughs> because they really got it cleaned up. And so what was presented to them this time was the current, you know, 2023 20, and moving forward. Not a lot of the past stuff on there that, you know, clouded the issue. Yeah. So, you know, that really made it exciting because we really got through a lot of good things. So with that being said, you know, the CIP is basically a 10 year plan on projects that you space out and try to schedule and forecast financially of how you want to approach those. And they're really kind of also some priority in there are certain street projects need to be done before others or whatever. So that's uh that's what it is. It, has, it really concentrates on what your big infrastructure projects are. And then the city council also, uh, we, have a, we have a cap on what we can borrow or we want to spend each year. And so what staff does is within those dollars, we organize, identify, and plan out what infrastructure projects that we're gonna get done within that financial limits, uh, but yet meet the needs of the citizens of Topeka. Sure. And so, you know, a lot of times are utility projects, uh, of course, major road projects, but also what's major, what's really exciting that ties into the CIP is, you know, we do have the uh, Fix Our Streets program, which yeah. is house, house tax, which really uh, allows us to do a lot of the major road projects. We're able to concentrate a lot of the CIP on utility upwork grades and stuff like that. So uh, we we have, you know, the CIP budget has to be approved. And, uh, and it, of course, we're quite a ways away from that. But uh, what this first one did really allowed us to get through the entire project book. Now what we'll do is, um, as council members have a little more time to digest it, uh, of course, they had a series of questions that they wanted us to answer as staff. And so we get that information back to them. And so what you'll see uh, on the agenda for the next several weeks is a placeholder for CIP budget discussion. And that's where 
um, the additional conversations will take place. And then uh, eventually here in, in, you know, it'd be nice if we could uh, get a vote on the CIP budget, you know, before April was up. Yeah. And, uh, start concentrating on the uh, the operational budget. Absolutely. Yeah, for folks listening uh, to you, it's just a, a reminder we talked about before. You know, for those of you that are really interested in, in the, those roadwork projects, infrastructure type projects, these are some great meetings uh, to listen to and get some really good insight and background uh, on uh, the progress that's being made on those projects and, and really see where the city is working. Um, and of course, you're, uh, you know, as you point out too, this is separate from uh, the city's operational budget um, discussions as well. And there's been some really kind of cool work I think that the city's been doing um, on, uh, you know, kind of having this different model as you approach the operating budget too, this outcomes-based budgeting and having public participation in that as well. Yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, something else, of course, um, that we know that's received a lot of attention um, in recent years is the issue of housing in our community. And and I know, of course, the city council uh, took the step of uh, establishing the housing trust fund um, in this last year. Can you talk a little bit kind of on the status of, of that fund and kind of what the next steps look like in that process? Yeah, so the Housing Trust Fund was something that was really kind of a uh, priority uh, yeah. for the former mayor. And it was uh, a project or a, uh, you know, uh, a, a project that I think has a, will have a lot of benefits for the future of the city of Topeka. And so where it's kind of at right now is uh, it was it was established and there were some initial funds put in there uh, in the process of uh, obtaining matching funds for that because that's what city council desired that the first dollars put in there had to be have matching funds to it and part of that was to really make sure that this was a community-wide effort sure not just a specifically city of topeka governmental uh effort sure and so um there's conversation out of some of the arpa dollars that we talked about that 10 million dollars that would be placed into the housing trust fund mm-hmm. to help expand that. And, uh, you know, part of it is having enough dollars in there to make an impact in the community. And so really what we're looking at, I think we're at the stage of where, um, you know, a few more dollars put into that account and then we can really start looking at how we're going to um, start rolling forward. How do we start making an impact in the community? Because as you said, when we talk about affordable housing and, uh, those type of things, we, we have a need in our in our community. And I think that the new need gets bigger and bigger as days go by. Sure. And so when we talk about how we uh, utilize the housing trust fund, to me, the housing trust fund is one of those things that can be used in conjunction with other projects and stuff. And so if yeah. you do that, and the dollars go even further. Uh, one of the discussions that we're having is, you know, establishing a land bank. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and what a land bank would allow us to do is um, if there's properties that have a structure on it and the structure's still in pretty good shape, but it hasn't been lived in for 10 years for whatever reason, uh, that the land bank can acquire that piece of property through a variety of avenues, whether it's donated, um, purchased, or what have you. And then you could use affordable house tr- uh, trust funds to rehab the house. Um, then you could use local um contractors that can't normally get contracts with the city because when the city does contracts, we do the big contract. Sure, yeah. And they are responsible for getting subcontractors. What this would allow us to do is we could reach those smaller 
uh, individuals that are usually subcontractors, which don't really get to do a lot of direct business with city, but give them the opportunity to do direct business with the city. Yeah. And then that's the, the benefit for the city of Topeka and the citizens are that you get another piece of property back on the tax rolls. Yeah. And uh, paying property tax and helping a family get established. And, and uh, so it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a, uh, I think what we really need to look at with the housing trust fund is a holistic approach and, and how many different things that we can tie into it to help make that successful. Absolutely. So I think, uh, uh, football, uh, uh, housing trust fund is something that we, 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 we spend a lot of time on the planning stages and stuff like that. So now I think it's really time for us to start set down and looking at what the implementation, uh, of that looks like and how we roll forward with that. Absolutely. Well, that, yeah, that ability to, to leverage uh, some of those dollars and build some of those partnerships, uh, I think it's going to be huge uh, for that as well. I think will lead to some some really uh, kind of comprehensive and, and long term sustainable developments, um, too. Yeah, it's, it's why you that's one of the, the things when you have an infusion of, of dollars into a project like this, you want it to be sustainable, too. And so I think being able to leverage and work with partners, I think it's going to go a long way towards doing that. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, of course, one other thing that the city will be busy with this summer, um, of course, we've seen redistricting happen at the uh, for congressional levels, at the legislative level. And it's uh, going to be time this summer for uh, redistricting to happen at the local level with city council districts. And so the city council members just recently picked their representatives to sit on this redistricting uh, commission that will work uh, this summer to, to do so. That Can you talk a little bit about kind of how that process uh, works, what that kind of timeline looks like? I will. Angel, one of the things that I've been told is I use the word exciting too much, but <laughs> you, you and me both. <laughs> but this redistricting is actually something that is very exciting. For yeah. us, I think. And one of the benefits that we have is that uh, municipal races in the city of Topeka are nonpartisan races. Mm-hmm. And so that really allows us to when we, we look at redistricting and what that looks like. It really allows us to really just do it based upon what is right and what is based on on population and and politics is not play into it. Um, So that's what makes this process, I think, interesting, but yet um, more personal, shall we say, for the citizens of Topeka. So where we're at is we uh, we lost our, our population shifted enough that we have to do a redistribute. Sure. If it, had, if it doesn't change within 2%, then you're good to go. Well, we, we changed enough that we did. So we had districts like uh, District 1, I think, lost like 7.1 population. District 2 lost 6.8. But mm. then we had districts, you know, 5 and areas like that that picked up like 1.5 and, and, and 2%. So our population shifted. So the redistricting, what we have to do is we have to look at boundaries and put basically the same amount of population in each district. And so your district boundaries are really going to change. And, you know, one of the things that people ask, well, I don't understand how my district is so carved out. You know, I cross sure. this, <laughs> this street, I'm a district five, I'm, <laughs> I'm district four. And well, that's that's why you have that is because we establish it based upon population. And being in the, you know, the city of Pico, like I said, being a nonpartisan uh, municipal elections, then you don't look at, you know, political race, uh, political uh, uh, parties and, you know, where most of the, you know, say Democrats live. Or yeah. Republicans live. It's literally just they cross the board 
X number of people in this area. So you'll see the districts change once again uh, because we really have to do some shifting. Uh, when you talk about losing 7.1% of the population in the district, that's quite a bit of people. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about the size of our districts, which are give or take, uh, 14,500 people, give or take. Sure. Uh, so when you look at that, so you have to, you'll we'll really have to do some adjustment on, on some of the boundaries. Um, so each council member uh, gets to appoint one person to the redistricting team. They have to live in that current district. And uh, so the council members have submitted their, um, they're individuals to the deputy mayor. The deputy mayor just let us know who those were a couple of days ago. And so now the next step is uh, we'll be working on getting those folks together, laying out the primer parameters of it, educating the public, educating those uh, nine individuals on what their job is. And then those nine individuals will go to work on formulating um, population, what districts look like and, and that type of stuff. And they will have a city attorney uh, assigned to them. Sure. Of course, we got to do it legally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> got to make sure all that's right. So um, we, we we have to have that play, which we're ahead of the schedule. Uh, you have to have that uh, nine-person district team in place, uh, redistricting team in place by uh, July. And, you know, we already got it in place. And so we're ahead of the schedule. That's one of the things that Deputy Mayor wanted to make sure is we didn't you know, drag this out. If we, yeah. can get, if we can get it done, let's get it done. And so that was the tasking in hand. And so we're moving forward and um, that, that's kind of where we're at on that. Awesome. Yeah, no, that is exciting. And it's it's exciting too that it is a, a nonpartisan GEO. We, we, we just shouldn't get so contentious when you add um, the political element to it. And so to be able to, to take that out, I think makes it so much nicer of a process uh, to go through for sure. Yeah, and some people really don't understand um, that um, that local elections at at City Topeka are are nonpartisan. Yeah, and you know we kind of had some of that conversation come in. You know, at the last election, people were saying, you know, "Well, is this person Republican or Democrat?" And well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. At the municipal level, it's who do you want and who do you think will do the best work for the city of Topeka? Absolutely. I think, see, I think that's why I like local government more, because local government can be more productive because you're not worried about about those kinds of things. It's probably why I have a preference for, for working with local government so much. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. It makes it, it's it's a little bit truer to the sense of what politics, you know, uh, democracy was really set up to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, we've got just one question left just for fun. It's something we've been, been asking some of our, our local leaders that we've had on the show recently, given that we are ballots and brews. Um, you know, if you had to come up with a cocktail that represented the city of Topeka, uh, what would it be called and what would it have in it? Well, as I told you, I use that word exciting. Thing, <laughs> to me, I would name it the Topeka Excitement. Nice. And what would it have in it? Uh, well, for me, uh, um, I'd like a, a splash, a splash drum. Nice. Some some uh, good old black label Jack Daniels, <laughs> and then a, a lighter type of beverage on top of it. You know, to uh, 
make it go down smooth. And I would probably say something along the lines of uh, um, uh, diet Mountain Dew. Nice. Nice. I like that. Well, you know, we've got that. We've got that new cocktail bar that's open in uh, downtown with the uh, white linen. So we're going to have to pass these. And that's exciting. On. It is exciting. It is. It's absolutely exciting. So we're going to have to, I feel like we're going to have to forward these suggestions on to them for sure. Uh, lots of, lots of exciting things going on. It is an exciting time to be in Topeka. And hopefully those, those folks applying to be our next city manager, uh, know that as well. They can be part of some, some really cool things happening in this community. Yeah, I think have a real chance to put a mark on the city of Topeka in a very positive manner. We just got so many things going on. And then as I tell people, this is the first time in a long time we have a lot of developers that are very interested in coming to Topeka and doing stuff here. And so, you know, that just, you know, that, that just speaks volumes of what the people who have been dedicated to the city of Topeka, you know, GTP, United Way and, and all those organizations coming together and painting such a positive picture of the city of Topeka and moving things forward. And so it's uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the next couple of years. Absolutely. For sure. Well, Bill, thanks for, for hanging out with us tonight. All right. Well, you have a good evening. Hey, yeah. Thanks, you too. And for those folks out there listening, go ahead and stay tuned. After this next break, we'll wrap things up like we always do with our take action moment of the night. You are listening to Ballots and Brews here on KSEP 785 Live Radio. All right, everybody, we are going to wrap things up like we always do with our take action moment of the night. Uh, just a few things to let you know about as we wrap up tonight. Uh, first, mark your calendars. Next Tuesday, April 12th is Kansas Voter Registration Day. Uh, this day has been proclaimed to draw attention to uh, the need to register people to vote. Uh, we encourage you uh, to use that day to promote folks going to ksvotes.org where people can check their voter registration status or they can register to vote if they haven't already. We also have a flyer up on our social media page that you can use uh, to promote to post in your workplace uh, or anywhere else around the community. But again, I want you to mark that day, April 12th, um, to really talk with folks about the importance of getting registered to vote and making sure your voter registration is up to date. We almost forgot to mention it, but for those in the Auburn Washburn School District, it's actually election time for you right now. Uh, that's right, residents in the Auburn Washburn School District are participating in a school bond election right now. Uh, if you are a resident of Aus Auburn Washburn, you should have received a ballot in the mail at your house to vote in that election. It's a real short and sweet ballot, just two questions. The ballots are due back to the Shawnee County Election Office by Tuesday, April 12th. Uh, so time is ticking, so make sure to get those set in, and also make sure to sign your ballot um, when you send uh, when you send it in there's instructions you'll see on the envelope for where to sign believe it or not the election office tells us that that is the number one thing that people forget to do is they forget to sign their ballot on the envelope there when they uh, when they get turned in so make sure to do that uh, before you get yours uh, before you get your ballot dropped off uh, voters in in that district are voting on rather two uh, one for question number one uh, build a new middle school uh, along with a package of other enhancements, including safety upgrades at buildings, construction of a career and technical education center at Washburn Rural High School, and a number of other enhancements throughout the district. So that's question number one. Question number two asks about building a new pool that will serve um, the Auburn-Washburn School District. So just two questions on that ballot. You can learn more about those issues, get all the details and whatnot at usd437.net slash bond2022. So that's usd437.net slash bond2022. 
Uh, one last reminder, just as a general note, we mentioned that the legislature is on their spring break right now. Uh, hopefully a much tamer spring break than the kind you took in college, uh, because Lord knows we can't afford to have any more of them get arrested. Uh, so now is an excellent time to reach out to your legislators. Invite them to visit your programs, your workplaces. Um, invite them to come out to coffee and visit with them. Take advantage of the time they have now uh, to reach out to them and talk about um, the issues that you care about. Talk about those issues that have you all fired up uh, and that you want them to, to hear about. Now, as we mentioned, even though they just have this one veto session left before the legislature wraps up, there's still a lot of important work hanging in the balance. Um, so they need to hear from you and your input uh, could make the difference uh, when they come back to the State House on the 25th. And as a reminder, you can always go to kslegislature.org to find the contact information for your legislators. And that, folks, is our show for tonight. So thanks for bearing with us at our rescheduled time tonight to accommodate the Jayhawks last night. As always, if you haven't already, be sure to check us out on social media, Ballots and Brews on Facebook and at Ballots Brews on Twitter. We post behind the scenes stuff there, all kinds of extra information, all the links that we reference on here, all that kind of thing um, are on those social media pages. Uh, also, don't forget to subscribe to us if you haven't already um, at wherever you get your podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those kinds of places. Uh, you could subscribe on there so that way you won't miss out on any of our episodes and with that folks we are done so we will be back next week but until then thanks for listening stay safe drink some good beer and we'll catch you next week here on ballads and brews on ksf 785 live radio
new beginning comes from some other beginnings and 